sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, uh, I'm Nate Larkin here with our good buddy Aaron Porter. Once again, this kind of feels like old times. We are separated by thousands of miles. Only this time, I'm the guy who's gone west. Yeah, I'm, I'm in out. Tennessee. That's odd. You're in the <laughs> Grand Tetons. <laughs> I am. I am. Yeah, Allie and I are out here for a couple of weeks of relaxation and reflection and rejuvenation, and it's it's gorgeous out here. Although we got here in the height of fall foliage. And there's snow in the forecast for next week when we're still scheduled to be here. So I'll be wow. darned. Yeah, yeah. I've I've never been to the Tetons, and all I'm looking at is a uh, blank wall behind you. So I gotta say, they're disappointing <laughs> these Tetons. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I am in a quiet corner of the house, sitting in a bedroom. So, uh, and you, anything happening there in uh, in Shea Porter? Man, I am just coming off of uh, days and days and days of some California guests. My daughter got to have a friend come visit from California, which was so great for her. Yeah. But she also came with a mother and a sister. So it was a lot oh. of activity and a lot of cooking. And so today I get to just take a deep breath and enter back into normal life. Well, hey, speaking of uh, friends from California... You and I recently had a conversation with a with a guy who only weeks before had relocated from uh, Southern California, Orange County, yeah. where he where he had been in uh, blissful exile for six or seven or eight years. Jeremy Dibler from uh, 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 Far From Home, FFH. Yeah, and quite an interesting conversation it was. Yeah, definitely was not what I expected for uh, whenever morning we had that or night. I don't remember. It's been too many weeks now. <laughs> so it was great. And and I hope that the word narcissism gets thrown around a lot in our world these days. It's kind, kind of like that whole people saying they're hypochondriacs, but aren't. And mm-hmm. so I am hoping that this will help all of us think through this a little bit more because some of our listeners know some narcissists in their life and man, it is tricky navigating that chaos. Mm. And Jeremy had some great thoughts on it. He's put a lot of thought into it. He's a very thoughtful fellow. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're going to like this conversation. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment on the pirate monk podcast. And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast with with today's guest, this week's guest, Jeremy Dibler, uh, formerly of FFH, the, the Christian group Far From Home, which many of you may remember. Hi, hi, Jeremy. How are you? Hey, Nate. Hey, Aaron. Hello. Welcome. Thanks. For uh, where, where is, <laughs> what's the name Dibler? Where's that from? It's German. 
Charming, my friend. That, that makes of sense. course. Yeah. It, it didn't sound Scottish. So my grandparents, all together, I'm from Dibler, Allkamp, Esch, and Stolzfus. So that's, oh. it's German through and through. As a matter of fact, my grandparents were Pennsylvania Dutch. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Stolzfus, Stolzfus is an, like a Pennsylvania Dutch yeah. Amish thing, right? Yeah. Wow. You know, Nate's moving to become Amish. And you you grew up in kind of an Amish country, didn't you? In Lancaster, Pennsylvania? Yeah, I'm from Lancaster, although um, I'm going to have a lot of Amish relatives, and they're delightful people. Um, mm -hmm. My grandparents left that tradition uh, around the time my mom and her two sisters were born. And then so they okay. were Mennonite for a while, which is, it's a bit like the gateway. Amish light? Yeah, it's it's the gateway drug from Amish wait, to normal. Wait, so okay, I yeah. want to know. I'm sorry. I I love Amish conversations. This is not where we're going, but your grandparents left. Why? Like, what is what's the story behind that? Well, I mean, it's it, it's not that abnormal. I mean, the Amish community is thriving um, because you know they only have to have two kids that stay Amish, right? Or to, right. You know sort of keep it going. But my, my grandma was one of 12 and my uh, grandpa was one of, I guess, five. And some of their brothers and sisters and siblings all left at the same time. And they just, you know, decided they yeah. wanted just a normal life. And so they were Mennonite for a while. Then they were, uh, then they just went normal. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. I have, no. all, I actually have all, I have all my grandparents still and they're all, wow. yeah. That was part of our part of the reason uh, to move back to Franklin from California was to, I mean, we're right now with Jennifer's family, so they're they're all here um, in the South, and then my folks are still in Lancaster, and it's, you know it's closer. So uh, having grown up in a Brethren church, we oh, were no. like, so we were like the you know drunk uncle at yeah. the picnic, even though we were the most conservative church in our town. So. Compared to the rest of it, so yeah, I, I get what it. What was that? Oh, I was I was in well, Atascadero, California. It's just San Luis Obispo, California. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't know it was brethren. I didn't know it till I was in my mid twenties. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of there are a lot of brethrens up there in Pennsylvania. So you were part of the MSM then, the mainstream the mainstream Mennonite. Is that what it was? No, I don't think no. brethrens would call themselves that. <laughs> Is that true? I like I said. I thought we were non-denominational until I was in uh -huh. my mid twenties. I went, "Oh my gosh!" Well, but I appreciate all the camping we did together as a group. We were a community for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> all right, what a great, on. what a gift that is. What a gift that is. So, so Jeremy, tell a little bit of your story. So you you grew up in a Christian home. You grew up in church. Talk to us about how the music career kind of evolved. Well, um, I love to play music. And so when I was a kid, um, my parents listened to a lot of music. My dad played guitar and bass, mm -hmm. mom played piano. They had a band. Oh, um, really? Yeah, they did when they were, I mean, this was when they were get just getting out of high school. They had a band together. Mm -hmm. And they raised me on proper music, rock and roll music, uh -huh. like Billy Joel and Elton John and Fleetwood Mac and Wow. Were, yeah. <laughs> that's how I learned to play music. And, um, and then dad was 
part of like the music program at church and he brought home Christian music and I loved it. And so I mm-hmm. uh, started a band with a couple of other guys in the early nineties. And then we ended up moving to Nashville. Uh, I met Jennifer in 94. She joined that band and then okay. uh, we signed a record deal with our mutual friend, Robert. And right. Robert Beeson. Yeah, yeah. We did seven or eight records with him. Um, and then a couple of more with another label. And then moved to California. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of life in between there, but I mean, that's kind of the headline. Yeah, let's talk about a lot of life. I'm thinking in particular of one kind of unexpected turning point, uh, something that hit you shortly after you and Jennifer returned from a trip to Africa. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so we we moved to Cape Town for six months in '06 and '07, um, partly because I, you know, we needed we just needed a break. We had been dropped from our record deal and. Um, and, and, you know, we, we're kind of like, I don't know how much longer we can do this. Our son was two at the time. His name uh-huh. He's 18 now. And we were just like, we might need an off ramp. And so our friends, uh, Nita and Al Andrews were our counselors. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, maybe you guys just need a break. And so we did, we moved to Cape town, took a break, came back. We thought about sort of moving back into the music thing, but I was sick at the time with, what I later learned was multiple sclerosis. And so that I had to do two years of treatment, which I couldn't really do anything while I was doing that. And then by the time that was over, you know, so much water was under the bridge that we were kind of like, you know, we need a change of scenery. So we started to get to ready, ready for what life was kind of going to be like in the next season. Our daughter was born during that time too. So she Mm -hmm. was, so Hutch was probably six and Sadie was two. And then we had that flood in Nashville. I don't know if you're right. listening, you probably wouldn't remember. Um, and we lost our house in that flood. And so. Oh, I didn't. I don't, yeah. I'd forgotten that, Jeremy. Yeah. you. Oh, wow. Yeah. So once we got the house repaired, we had been living in a rental house for uh-huh. the whole time. It was being repaired. And we we're like, you know what? We really need to move away for a little bit. So then we moved to Irvine for seven and a half years till, till last week. Just got back. Yeah. What a nice surprise when you flagged me down outside of Starbucks. Man, uh, I think the day after you arrived. Well, I, <laughs> I heard, I, I could only see you from the back, but I knew uh-huh. the voice. I was like, gosh, this has to be Nate. I know, his, his ass. Really, he has the most distinct ass, and it's really nice. I was talking to Allie yesterday about it. She likes it. I haven't haven't touched it, but she has, and it's good. Of all the rear ends I've ever seen, that was one <laughs> I have been called an ass, but not necessarily had mine uh, complimented before. Well, so thank hey, you. That means I, a lot. That was my nickname. I mean, Jennifer called me that for <laughs> probably the first five years. I was dumbass. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, it's you know it will be nice. It's Nate's birthday weekend, so yeah, we'll, we'll just stick with that. I think I I'd like to come up with an enneagram. Um, I'd like to come up with an Enneagram diagram that, that inserts ass for every Enneagram number. So like the fives, they would be the smart ass, you know, uh-huh. I'm, I'm not going to go through them all cause I don't want anybody to steal it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
but you figured it out. Okay. okay. I've figured it I'm out. Kind of, for sure. <laughs> hey, I'm so glad you came back to Franklin so that you could be in the epicenter of people that think they know everything about the Enneagram all the time. I know. I'm so glad. When I learned the Enneagram, I actually became an Enneagram coach before I realized that it was, this was going to be, I mean, when I became an Enneagram coach, it was like, I had to explain to people, okay, look, so there's this thing, (laughs) but it's not called the Enneagram. And now everybody knows what it is. Everybody's an Enneagram expert. So I'm just like, I I don't care. Oh my gosh. How have we not hung out? I wrote a a whole book not using the word Enneagram because I couldn't do it for the exact same reason. We can sit around and not say the word Enneagram and talk, but what number are you not in the Enneagram? (laughs) On the not, I am, I think, a four. Um, With a three wing or a both, actually. I, I mean, oh, I, I really, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty mature now, so I've got both wings. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> we're boring the listeners, but I'm fascinated. Uh, but, but that's great. I'll, I'll treat you really kindly and try to let you know that you're really known and understood by well, your comments, and that <laughs> I'm authentic. You know, you're, so great. you're, you're wonderful. In fact, I, I just met you, but I'm inspired by you. Because of your authentic self. I'm the least tattooed Enneagram 4 you will ever meet. Yeah. (laughs) What if you, okay, Aaron, what about you? I'm an 8. Well, I know who's in charge. Well, (laughs) now you see, I, from from the moment you and I sat down to get reacquainted, Jeremy, and we got talking outside of Starbucks. It somehow it slipped into my head within the first five minutes. Oh, he needs to know Aaron. <laughs> oh, no. It sounds like he needs me. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, I know because you are bringing so much to this conversation. Yeah. It's amazing. I just think, man, if you need, need more to time. bring a conversation down, you know who to call. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't exactly spiral upwards into joy. okay all right we could do this for a long time i would love to do this for a long time but nate you were talking about the in-between time and yeah and there was some glitchiness ask your question all right okay well uh, let me let me launch into a topic i uh, jeremy and i have actually met a couple times since our initial uh, you know, the accidental bumping into each other outside of Starbucks. So we've met for a couple of times. I hope that's the, there'll be many more to come. Uh, but in that first conversation, I don't know how the topic of narcissism came up, uh, but it did. And then Sorry. he already said he's a four, so I already know how this came no. up. But, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Sorry, I don't know no. how it came up. Okay, and totally, then very oh, inappropriate. Keep going, Nate. Keep going. Me. Yeah. uh, Jeremy made this completely offhand comment that just caught me by surprise. And he said, as I remember it, uh, you know, groups can be narcissistic too. There is systemic narcissism, which just, it, it it blew so many fuses that I just said, okay, that's worthy of a conversation on the podcast. 
Yeah. Can we can we start with how you came to that thought? Because that's that's a that's a huge thought. It's a great thought. Yeah. No, it's not mine. I mean, I, it's something that I so uh, real quick. First of all, I, I want to make a bit of a disclosure here, and that's that. I'm not an expert on narcissism. I've done a lot of study in it, and I would like to get better at understanding it. But I do think that narcissism is tied into whatever this uh, patriarchal American nationalistic uh, system that we're part of. And 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 I I think you know I think even those of us who don't think we are uh, have some narcissism probably don't realize really what it means. Um, so, uh, I, I graduated a two year. So when I moved to Irvine, I, I, they ordained me to be a pastor, but I hadn't done very much training at all in pastoring. So in God's great kindness, they said, we're going to send you to some really intensive, uh, uh, a two year, they sent me through a two year program with, uh, directed by clinical psychologists there in Southern California. And, um, they would send us away, you know, the same cohort, they'd send us away for a week at a time. And then we would do a semester worth of coursework and they would come back together and we'd do, you know, more coursework. And, um, and so. But I, if I can interrupt, but it wasn't just any psychologist. There was a strong influence from a guy whose, whose name is quite familiar to our listeners. I hope Dallas Willard, what's that connection? Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, I never got to meet Dallas, but the two that ran this program were uh, mentored by Dallas and his mm-hmm. wife. And so um, it was lovely and hard, and I learned just so much. I mean, it was why, like drinking why a little hard? Why hard? Well, because we had to use ourselves as as sort of the, uh, the, the subjects for a lot of this stuff. Right. So as we were learning how to understand the psychology and spirituality of um, so many of these processes, we would have, you know, use ourselves first and then practice on each other. And so, which I know, I mean, I know you guys have a lot of experience in this, but it was really revealing and uncovering Mm -hmm. a lot of things and a lot of processing time and a lot of time in solitude, which um, I learned to love, but you know, at the beginning that was, it was interesting so I came out of that with, um, so I came out of that and I wanted to continue kind of learning and educating. And so I decided I, I wanted to spend quite a bit of time uh, learning and understanding narcissism, not just because, uh, not just because I think it's, you know, it, I think people are throwing around the narcissist word a lot. I have done it. And I think it can be damaging, kind of like a person who might throw around, well, that's my OCD talking. If you right, really right. know someone with OCD, you realize, you know, okay, no, you don't okay. really know what OCD can, is. So can we, can we pause on this? Because yeah. I, I think this is so important. Like narcissism is a thing. Narcissism it's, it's, it's is a, mental a real sport. thing. Right. Yeah. And so I have heard exactly like you said, when this got brought up, I love the systemic or corporate narcissistic idea but i have heard it thrown around with people who are struggling in marriage um going through divorces oh they're a narcissist you're like well okay but that's a thing and so i i think we have to at least unpack what you're saying a little bit 
to say, okay, this, this yeah. is a real thing. And, and all of us have, if, if we're to list, here's 12 traits of a narcissist, of course all of us have some of those, obviously, because self is important to all of us. And in right ways, there are right ways that self is important to all of us. That yeah. God well, made the, us in that way. Right. And so I think there's probably a healthy narcissism that has to develop when we're young that is sort of in the context of the ego, where we have to have a self. Mm-hmm. A true narcissist mm-hmm. doesn't have a self outside of a narcissistic supply that comes from a place outside of them. And this is a person with narcissistic personality disorder without not capable of empathy, not capable of seeing past their own thing, their own mirror that looks inward to what's beyond it. So imagine a 360 degree mirror that a one way mirror, people can see in, but a narcissist can't see out. They turn around and they can only see themselves and they need supply. And we live we do live in a time, you know, this is cliche to say, but we do live in a pretty crazy time where narcissistic supply is coming at us from everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. right. Um, okay. Okay. So how do we, you said some big words. I want to break this down for someone that's feeling like, okay, what exactly you're saying narcissism is we're talking about, we all live by narratives. What does this, what's the story behind this? You're talking about people who extremely see what does every story mean about me, right? Like, give me, yeah, give me some think, more. Like, it, it blow out what you just said in the simplest terms possible. Give me the happy meal little toy version of narcissism. Okay. Maybe the happy meal little toy would be, say, you have, say, little Jeremy or little Aaron or little Nate at some point is supposed to be given an appropriate amount of outside love and affection, the thing that comes Mm -hmm. from another place. And that is either uh, denied or they're abandoned or whatever. And instead of being full from that, what would be a healthy supply, it gets neglected to the point where, that finding that supply of love and affection becomes the point. And and I don't mean to the point of like a person becomes codependent where they can't be okay unless the other person's okay. I mean, someone who can't feel their feelings unless they're being told uh, who they are from an outside world. So 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 their identity and affirmation has to come from either getting it from the outside or manipulating it from other people on the outside? Uh, I would say, in my understanding, identity, yes. It doesn't even have to be affirmation, just identity, period. A narcissist wouldn't be able to empathize because they don't have any internal empathy bone. Nothing has ever been developed inside of them to be able to think outside of themselves. It's just... Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Um, And so it's, you know, I think people sometimes confuse narcissism with someone who just wants to be cool. And uh, I mean, that's another thing altogether, but it doesn't mean so-and-so. I also think you can differentiate because between 
those of us who act a little narcissistic sometimes mm-hmm. and a narcissist. Right, and right. to say, you know, we're talking about systematic narcissism. I think that that appears, can appear in degrees, but especially inside religious systems that are based on being either the best or the only narcissism, narcissistic systems run rampant because narcissism, narcissists have to be the only. They have to be the object of affection. Oh, my gosh. You're, you're diving so deep, so fast, because you're doing great, Jeremy. You're doing so great. I love it. <laughs> I, feel like I, you're complimenting, <laughs> I feel like you're complimenting me, but also telling me I'm not doing well. I know. You, you would, but I actually feel it. You're doing great. But, I mean, this is, this is like deep dive stuff for people yeah. who haven't thought about this. Well, and and, this, is, this is something I have to work on, Aaron, and I'm being serious. I... I love doing this work with people. I, I'm not as good as at talking about it as I am in actually processing it with someone. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about the work and explaining it in a way that, you know, like you said, give me the happy meal. It's yeah, hard, yeah. you know, just trying to assimilate everything I've read and learned and also processed in my own life, having some, some people in my life who have demonstrated this, these kind of behaviors to me and also being part of a, you know, uh, you know, the, the evangelical Christian nationalistic system is my home. My, those are my people. And so I've, you know, I've had to learn it. All right. So let's not go to the system yet. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's, you, you threw down some deep stuff and I, I think that gradient aspect is confusing because we felt it. I mean, I've, I've had moments, <laughs> there's like two or three moments in my life uh, where I felt that same thing, where it's all about me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. It was five. It was five moments. Before you became a Christian. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, okay. That's, okay. I, and then I turned seven and accepted Jesus at the camp. Uh, okay. So, anyways, everybody understands what you're saying in an experiential way, but we're talking about something that's that's kind of deeper at for an individual. Before we get to the systemic, we have to understand there's this deep need for certain individuals, and I think that's important because if we talk about groups, those groups have a deep need. It's not just a not just, oh, yeah, sometimes this comes up. Certain groups have a deep need. And I think we have experienced that with different people. We don't know how to categorize it. And then because it's kind of a gradient deal, we're like, oh, that person had that moment, and so we'll put them in the category. No, there are certain things that are deeply needy of what you're talking about. And, and that's where it becomes a problem. Not that we can't feel that. I felt it. You guys have felt it. I'm throwing it on you, but you already named us, mm-hmm. so I can throw it. Nate's the only one that hasn't been to it. Uh, yeah. So when we move to systems that need that kind of, and we're not even talking about affirmation, we're talking about identity, groups that yeah. need that, can you shift us into groupthink? Okay, so 
I will try. I've never had anybody ask me uh, to where I've had to have it make it sound intelligent. Um, I've talked <laughs> about it, you know, like one-on-one with certain people. And, and so I, I do think this stuff from personal to family to system, it does scale. Um, in other words, a narcissist, let's just say a person with narcissistic personality disorder. And I mean, I I do think it's almost like, um, it's almost like if you're worried that you have it, you probably don't because it really is a lack of, of the ability to feel empathy or guilt or because it's a lack of self-awareness as well, which well, is you just constantly need narcissistic supply, which is the outside world telling you who you are. Right. Um, and I, I mean, I only, I only know like two of these people. I mean, I've only ever met like two of them, yeah. um, mm-hmm. but I do think that you can see it in, in consensus families where everyone votes the same, everyone listens to the same music, everybody drinks the same beer, everybody. I mean, and not that that is always wrong, but one, one tell of the narcissistic family is you can't come and go freely. If you leave, then you are out and you only come back in through repentance and, uh, and that and scales a, and, and, a, and agreeing with the group thing. Right. I mean, we're talking yeah. group thing, oh, right? Oh wow! I, I was wrong, and I was wrong, and I and I need you. I need to come back. So there's where the codependent aspect of of this cycle is. But inside the system, there's still co narcissists. So you may have a narcissist leader, oh! but you have a co narcissist because they're they're in the consensus. And they're still be- building up the narcissist, but they're getting their supply by their inness and their rightness. So we're, um, we're talking families right now. Right. But that scales to systems where you mm-hmm. might have a narcissist or a narcissistic group, may it be a pastor or a board or a board of directors to where they're all looking in on one another, giving each other narcissistic supply, and then they've got a ring of people who are looking in on them, telling them how wonderful they are, and they all vote the same and drink the same beer, and they all like the same teams, and they all shoot the same guns, or you know, they all march at the same pride rallies. I mean, there's elitists on both sides. <laughs> but it's not Sorry. Sorry, I'm just thinking they're not marching at the pride rally. You but, know what I mean? But... Yeah. But you also, if you leave, you're out. And if you stop giving that narcissistic supply, mm-hmm. then you're no longer part of the group. Um, and this is, I mean, this is hard for adults, but it's also what's really hard for kids and preteens is that they don't understand what to do when that kind of narcissistic supply goes away, especially if it's from a bunch of people who like them on TikTok. And so, it becomes like Nate, you and I talked about this some, but it's got those same neurological triggers and the same uh, hormonal release as a real drug does. And when that drug goes mm-hmm. away, if a teenager doesn't know how to process it, then it could lead them to some really unhealthy places um, and damaging self harm to where, I mean, we're seeing a lot of kids kill themselves because of this removal of 
whatever this supply is. And when I say narcissistic supply, I know I've used that word probably 15 times now, but it's like breath for them. If you put a narcissist on an island, they can't survive because the only thing they know is finding their identity outside of themselves, mm-hmm. which is why some, this is why some codependents, uh, codependent people present as narcissists, uh, narcissists present as codependents because this might be the man who is courting the woman and he tells her everything she, he wants, she wants to hear. And he's so loving and he, he almost needs, you know, he needs her affection so much. He shout, it's because he, he does need it. Now he sees, he sees himself as like the, the Christian championing, wooing, courting man of God, mm-hmm. but he's only doing that because that's going to be his supply chain. Right. So by supply chain, it means a response from somebody else that feeds that identity need. I yeah. need you to tell me that I'm valuable. Right. So yeah. you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to act right. in a certain way to elicit a response from you yeah. that fills my identity tank. Okay. All right. So I start my day as a narcissist saying, hello, how am I? Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you actually don't. You don't start uh-huh. your day. You okay? Maybe you start your day saying that, but you don't. I mean, I know you, Nate. So I don't. I mean, Aaron, yeah, you yeah. can do this, but you don't fill your day <laughs> solely yeah, right. trying to ask other people how you are. Right. You know exactly. I mean? Yeah. And you guys have right. done work, and you like. I think. Right. right. I think that anybody who's probably interested at all in this in this broadcast is. They're not a, a narcissist. Wouldn't listen to this because they wouldn't need help. Um, <laughs> you know, we're talking about we're talking about sort of narcissism, and right. And I, it's really it's really hard. It's okay if you're the you know if you're. It's okay if you like the Dallas Cowboys. Narcissism is appropriate if you're rooting for a football team. You want that team to do best. You want them to crush the other. You don't. You want your team to be the best and the only. And but it doesn't work in life. And mm-hmm. this is where people who uh, who get caught up in these systems of either narcissistic people or people groups they lose themselves. They lose their identities. And All we're right. doing. I'm afraid we're doing that as a religion. So, so this is not a wrap up thing. This is a clarification. So we've we've got our listeners right now that are dealing with, am I living with a narcissistic person? Am I a narcissistic person? So that's the individual level. They are in family groups where they feel like, oh my gosh, I, I feel like I'm the only cult member in this family group that doesn't have a certificate. Okay. And, and, so there's that. So we've got the individual, we've got the family group. And then you've brought up how Christianity itself can create these these pods, whether it's denominational or just mm-hmm. local, where yeah. it serves itself. That it is a group that serves the leadership, whether it's pastor, whether it's a group of leaders. So how do we break this down. Jeez, I feel like we need to just be like, and now we'll have the next three weeks to break down those three things. <laughs> yeah, and if, we, if we did, I would sure hope that you would get someone who who evidently could explain this stuff better than I can. Um, 
But I would say that we do, surely we have people listening who have narcissistic tendencies because the way that I got probably most interested in this subject was I had a narcissist in my life and I wanted to understand how best to navigate that. And I started reading this. The, my entry book into it was a book called Should I Stay or Should I Go? Mm-hmm. Um, it was written by two clinical psychologists who counseled people out of or had people stay with narcissists. And I realized in reading the book that I should maybe not look so much to this other person, but maybe should take a good hard look at myself because mm-hmm. I was exhibiting at least some of these, like you said, some of these narcissistic characteristics. Um, I mean, and there, there are a few that are like, they're kind of, they're kind of just for the person with the personality disorder. Like we're talking about like, you know, Scheidenfreud, the, the wishing harm on others and glorying in someone else's defeat, which like I said, it's perfectly appropriate. If you're rooting for the Cowboys, you want the other team to lose, but it's not, perfectly appropriate when you're talking about people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so there, there are a few things and maybe in the show notes, I can give you some of these book names that I've used, but there are a few things that, but there are a lot of them that are like, well, well, dang, I do that. And I've done that. And I realized, and with the help of some really good counseling that I, you know, sure. I might be narcissist little N, but the fact that it makes me sad makes you know, I'm not narcissist big end. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, okay. So for for the all right, I'll I'll take that chunk and break it down for the listeners. If if you feel uncomfortable with those thoughts, because I have thought harmful. Oh my gosh, I wish that person didn't even exist. Absolutely, in my life. That Imprecatory thoughts. Okay. Yes. Oh, thanks. Me and David, we're in together. Okay. Okay. Uh, imprecatory thoughts. God break his teeth on something. Right. Uh, that doesn't make me a narcissist, but if I can't see outside of those thoughts, like that's, jeez, this is so stupid. Right now, we're trying to describe to a narcissist. If you see this, then you're a narcissist. <laughs> and and that's just, are, we're already lost. There. They won't. Yeah. Right. And and it's so I so I feel like, like unforgivable sin. It's the what is it? The grieving of the Holy Spirit. We were always told is the unforgivable sin. Well, if right. you're worried about it, you don't need to worry about it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I, I I feel like okay. If you're like yeah, I've acted like that kind of dick. Well, okay, you know it's a dick. That's not cool. You're you're okay. You're still a dick sometimes. I'm a dick sometimes. Nate's a dick sometimes. But if well. you feel like, oh, well, okay. Me and Jeremy are <laughs> dicks sometimes. And it, like that matters. It super matters that you're like, okay, gosh darn mm-hmm. it. What am I doing right now? I'm so oh, yeah, angry. Yeah. Being, a so, dick mean, being a dick doesn't make you a narcissist. Being mean doesn't make you a narcissist. There are a lot of um, abusers that aren't narcissists. Um, mm-hmm. A narcissist is a literal, 
and again, now we're talking about the narcissist, the one that right. can't see outside right. of the their need. disorder. It's a real yeah. thing. Yeah. Right. Um, but I would say now, like I said, I do think some of this stuff scales. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have all probably seen or at least um, been party to some narcissistic systems to degrees to where some would never be able to see outside themselves. See, the, so, there's, so there's how a, do you? Yeah, go ahead. How do you know now? Moving towards systems, how do you know? Okay, I am in a narcissistic system. I see it, and should I leave it, or do I try to change it from within? Because that's when I see people that are in relationships with narcissists. They feel like, oh, it's my job to fix the narcissist. And so people within narcissistic, well, we know that. But then people within narcissistic systems feel like I should not leave. I need to stay loyal because narcissists are great at making people feel like they have to stay loyal. That's that's how they get their narcissistic, what would you say? Supply. Thank you. Yeah. So systems also make people feel like you have to stay loyal to us. So how does somebody start to, and this can't be an absolute, like, if this happens, you should do this. But how does someone start to question, maybe I'm a part of this supply for the system of narcissism in my church, and maybe I should consider that I should step away because I'm not just being loyal. I'm being codependent to a really dysfunctional piece of shit. Well, so I think that's where my understanding of codependency and co-narcissism, that's where I think they differ a little bit is that a codependent actually needs to be needed. So their, their identity is sort of tied up in, who am I if you don't need me? Right. Uh, and so I, I suppose there's some of that going on in narcissistic systems. But I mean, I think I mean, I think one of the things that you could ask a person in a system like that is, would you be allowed to leave freely and come back? Um, and the reason I say that is, um, I mean, Jesus said, I'm the door, I'm the gate. You can come in and out, find green pasture. Uh, This is what the good parent says is, you know, go make your life. I'm always here. Come on back whenever you want. Not if you leave, don't ever come back. You know, was Francis of Assisi, what did his dad say when he was, he he said, well, you're no longer my son. And what was it? Nate, you probably know this better than me, but St. Francis said, say, okay, well, I am no longer. If that, if those are the Mm -hmm. rules. And so a narcissistic system and a narcissist will make you choose. They'll make you go, well, it's either me or them. Because here's the thing. They, they either that group or that person, they can't be wrong. So it'll either be they're right or they're the victim. It's not I was right or I was wrong. It's I was right or I was wronged. Um, narcissists throw around words like they're just, you know, this person they could have loved before, but now they're just a whack job or that person's just a nutcase or, you know what I mean? Just dismiss them out of hand because it's impossible 
that they could have somehow been wrong. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, uh, uh, wait, wait, wait. Aaron, uh, okay, good. We're going to have to wrap this at some point. I took us way down a rabbit hole. Well, wait, 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 wait. No, but what Jeremy said is important, (laughs) and then you can do your thing. (laughs) We'll keep talking afterwards. It's fine. (laughs) Okay, with what you were saying, Jeremy, there are individual churches and there are denominations that are all about what we're against. Right. The focus is here are the bad guys. We're the good guys. And that seems to play into what you're saying. Well, yeah. And that's because we are relating to each other with in in my understanding, we're we're relating to each other with a really early understanding of ourselves, of each other, of, you know, when we're little kids, that's actually a pretty healthy way to see the world. I mean, that's why we liked, you know, um, mm-hmm. why we liked Superman and Lex Luthor. And, you know, these were polar opposites. It was understandable. I mean, you have to build up an ego before you can break it down. And so there was, these were, these were really healthy things at the beginning. You know, it was the good guys and the bad guys. But then we, we grow a little and hopefully mature and, we realize later on that it's nuanced and that takes the world from black and white to color, which is what Jesus did. He took a very black and white world mm-hmm. and just threw color all over it. It didn't go gray. You know, it was black and white to color. And so that's what happens. But if we're not able to handle that, or we've had a, or we've had a lot of trauma and, we're kind of self-protecting or we're abandoned. I mean, usually narcissists have been abandoned. And so if, if that happens, we're not able to go from black and white to color. And so then we just have to hang on. And so what we'll see in these narcissistic systems is is we're going to hang on to the truth. We're going to hang on to the constitution. We're going to hang on to the Bible. We're going to hang on to our rights. We're going to hang on to, which unfortunately in Jesus systems is the exact opposite of what Jesus would have said to people to do. He taught people how to let go. I mean, the most famous verse is Jesus who didn't even consider equality with God, something to be held on to, but let it go. <laughs> right. So, but, but, but even that statement is the statement of bringing color because you're saying right. we don't hold on to the Bible, which would be like, wait, wait, heretic. And and you're like, that's not what you're saying. And yet the words make anyone who thinks, well, wait, which side are you on? That's the black and white thing where you're saying Jesus is bringing in nuance and color that freaks people out. And all we have to do is look at the gospel to see how it freaked everybody out. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing in, in anybody who's been freaked out's defense a little bit, Jennifer was the one in our family that started to get healthy first. So she went to counseling early on. I mean, I don't know, Aaron, if you know them, but um, Nate and I have some friends, Nita and Al, and they have uh, they kind of pioneered this artist care work. And Jennifer and I started seeing them, and she especially started to get healthy, and it freaked me out. I didn't know the vocabulary. And I was just like, surely they're telling her I'm the problem. 
which I probably was, but you know, it just, my responses were fear and shame. Like I'm ashamed because I'm going to be exposed and I'm scared of what is going to happen here. So it did freak me out a little bit, but you know, for whatever reason, not enough to go, Hey, this, this is important work. And then I went and you know, this is, you know, we're, this is 20 years ago now. So, uh, but I think when someone does, like you said, start to, um, reshape and undermine some of the stuff that kept us safe, it is freaky for a minute, Mm -hmm. but I think that, you know, over time, if, if the change is real, you start to see kind of the blessings from it. You're like, okay, I got to keep going here. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why, you know, I, when we had that little glitch, I was actually going, okay, maybe, maybe I shouldn't even, I'm realizing now, maybe I shouldn't even record this episode of your podcast. Cause I'm like, do I even know enough about this subject to even speak on it with some authority? You know, you have to make this stuff your own first before you can right. tell right. it. To me. But, I'm like, man, I'm, yeah, but, I'm still on how this stuff works for me. But listen to what, mm-hmm. I mean, that vocabulary to speak on it with authority to me, I don't want to undermine any other Christian's journey as if I know what they should be doing. However, I want every Christian to feel free to say, maybe this isn't cool. Maybe this, yeah. maybe this isn't okay. And, and maybe when they question it, they say, yes, it is. But everyone should be able to say, let me pause to see if it's cool. And that is the the moment with so many churches that's like, no, if you question that, you're out. Okay, now that you just described, you asked me before, how can you tell? And if a person will not be open to question, I'm not even talking critique. I'm just talking mm-hmm. if if a person is not uncomfortable with the word maybe. <laughs> because maybe it's uh, Nate and I were talking about this this morning. Um, somebody said something this weekend to me or said it to a group of people. And it was, it was such a statement of confidence in something that really the jury's still out on. I was mm-hmm. like, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe you're not, you know, maybe that's not right. And I think that maybe that word really doesn't belong in these narcissistic systems because maybe means possibly we were wrong. Possibly we were wrong about the infallibility of scripture. Possibly we were wrong in our understanding of the Holy spirit. Possibly we were wrong in our understanding of the atonement. You know what I mean? I'm not saying. Yeah. But the beauty is possibly we're right. And so maybe is, can we pause on this and right. we're not afraid of what the truth will bring. And that's why right. this isn't a liberal or conservative theological thing. Absolutely. It's a confidence that God is God. And so we can pause on maybe because right. he's not scared. We're scared. Oh my gosh. That's it. Right. That I don't think yeah. God's scared of this. Well, yeah. I wouldn't think, no, correct. I don't think that any of this scares God, who you know, whoever God ends up being, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't 
I don't even know if, I mean, there's no fear in love and God is love. Love is God. You know what I mean? If that fear probably doesn't even have shape in, in whatever, wherever God is, you know what I mean? That's right. not, it's, but, that's, but it that's, that's an us experience. And that's an us our, ex- and our systems that we try right. to create systems to avoid that fear and pain, which isn't yeah. helpful sometimes. Well, and you're you're so right that it's not a political a one side or the other thing because that method of control is universal. Yes. Mm-hmm. And sure. if yeah. you leave this, whatever this is, if you leave, buckle up, it's going to be really bad. I'm yeah. just, I mean, you've heard, you've heard us say this to each other. Oh, I'm just so worried about you. I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just so worried for what might happen if you, you know, dot, dot, dot. I, I had a, I had a friend who was a pastor. I'm not going to say the denomination, but I was dealing with another pastor from that denomination that was tearing apart a church we planted. And I was like, what? Why? Why is he doing this? And I sat down with him and he said, well, Aaron, let me explain this to you. Our denomination is like the movie The Village, the M. Night Shyamalan movie. And I was like, okay, I know that movie. And he said, that whole movie is about a village where they create fear about monsters in the woods outside. That's our denomination. We spend Mm. all of our time not talking about what we believe or what we're passionate about, what we love, but we talk about monsters in the woods outside of our village. And I happened to leave, and I found out the monsters weren't monsters. They were really nice folks, and I hung out with them. (laughs) But that description helped me with a lot of pastors in that denomination where everything was focused on that. And it's, yeah. it's what you're talking about. That yeah, defined defined by what they they are against. Yes, and yeah. and like I said, you know, I think now I don't know. I'd have to spend some time thinking about this a little bit to 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 see if that's. Uh, I mean, I do think it's a characteristic maybe of nar- narcissism. I don't know if it if it's something that narcissism can be defined by, but I do think it is a characteristic of it where you are it's more important who we are against um, because that helps us to decide who's in or out. Right. I think it's a, I, th- I, know that I, I think it's a tool. It's a tool. I'm from the Northeast and I grew up loving basketball and I'm from near Philly. And we were defined as much by our hatred of the Celtics as we were by our love. of the <laughs> Right. And yeah, look, right. I, know, I know sports analogies break down a little bit, but that is really what it's like. It's yeah. like, well, look, we, we might not be winning, but we're all united in that we are against them. Right. And you see yeah. this in, you see these churches and these, I hate to say it, but these boys clubs that are built on people who you think, well, look, I didn't think these guys could ever be in the same room, but once they realize they're against the same thing, then they're signing right. you know, yeah. so, with each other. I'm like, wait a minute, what? Now so, you guys like okay. each other. So you're, you're talking about, yeah, both, personal, family, and systematic narcissism that has, right. a, has a tool to say, let's unite and don't focus on me. Let's focus on other people's brokenness and then I'm okay. 
So well, right. And if I'm not okay, then it has to do with some kind of outside persecution. It right. can't be because of something that's wrong with me. Right. Mm-hmm. All right, Jeremy, there's a lot more to unpack here. Nate, you want to wrap us up. It's all your fault. Jeremy and I just want, <laughs> I mean, come on. Podcast. Not, Who's even listening to this? Ever, you guys ever have me on this thing again? I mean, I'll be, I'll talk about something I know. I know. <laughs> Please. Well, Look, I, just, I, just I did not three things that you might be excited about, but yes, I didn't, I, Jeremy, just to be clear, I didn't, I didn't ask you on as an expert okay. on the topic of systemic narcissism. I, 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 um, I ask you on as somebody who could participate and help to spark a conversation about it. Okay. And, uh, if this, uh, spurs us and our listeners into looking more deeply into the subject, uh, and, you know, seeing what the Holy Spirit may have to teach us about ourselves and about uh, where we are, then this will be, this will have been time well spent. Yeah. Okay. Hey, hey, look, hey, bef- look, before we let you go. No, before you move on, just I'm for our listeners, if they're thinking like, oh my gosh, what, what should I do with all of this? Just ask, eh, is this, wh- why, why are we doing this? And it's okay to ask why. It's okay. Why is super cool. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, before we go, I do want to ask you about where you see yourself going now that uh, you've moved the family back to Middle Tennessee. You have have kind of a new passion and a new direction. You haven't lost your love of music, but uh, your your interest in your gifting, I, I, I... I am very appreciative of the fact that you were willing for this long to engage in a topic and you, you were you were willing to talk kind of theoretically when I know your heart really is much more toward people. This thing's got to be embodied for it to happen. Yeah. Talk I mean, to us I, about where you are with people. Yeah. And, I, and I'm happy to talk about, well, with both of you guys, I'm not joking. I'm happy to talk about anything. I mean, you asked me specifically. Yeah about that comment I made about narcissism, but I, my, the thing that I really, really enjoy my life's work, um, has been, uh, for the last decade, probably even before we left here and moved to California was in, um, soul care and spiritual direction and focused mainly on artistic personalities, the, the artists in us, you know, not, not just, people who have made their living in the music business, but kind of the, the deep artists that lives in us, the ones that are the artists that are trying to create and show people what God is like. I do think that if there's something that art has sort of led on historically, it's been trying to uncover these deep mysteries of God and, you know, giving some kind of language to it, whether it be poetry or music or, um, you know, mm-hmm. even language without words, visual arts. And so it's the world I know. And I feel like the artistic soul is something that I want to care for. Um, and so that, that is my, hopefully my life's work moving forward. If mm. in God's kindness, God lets me do that for a living. Um, so far so good, but you know, I have to, we'll see if it's sustainable. Now you and Jennifer just formed a nonprofit. Yeah, the nonprofit is called Return and Rest. Um, we 
we feel as a family that if there's one thing maybe God has allowed us to experience and then maybe show to others, is that's the rest of God. Um, hmm. We, you know, I had to get sick for us to kind of experience it. And we did have that weird detour in Africa and whatever the, whatever we've picked up along the way has been about finding um, God in the rhythms of Sabbath, not Sabbath as in Sunday morning, but as in returning and resting. And so the nonprofit is called Return and Rest and the website is returnandrest.org. And then underneath that will be some retreats, artist care, which I'm doing on a daily basis. And then Mm -hmm. maybe even some uh, materials for people to help them try to understand God this way. Wow. Wow. So the website is returnandrest.com. Dot org. Dot org. Returnandrest.org, where Jeremy will explain whether or not you should leave your church because they're a narcissistic system. All right. We'll be right back on. Oh, wait. (laughs) Way to blow it up right there at the end, Aaron. Hey, Jeremy, uh, that's what you do. Uh, That's why we love you. Listeners, stay with us for the wrap. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, there you have it, our conversation with Jeremy Dibler. Hope you enjoyed that. Time to bring this episode to a close. But before we do, let me remind you that the Samson Society Fall Retreat 2021 is coming up in just a few weeks, that first weekend in November. Uh, And there still are some spaces available. If you wanted a single or a semi-private room, you are SOL. Those rooms are gone. But There are nice accommodations still in the lodge bunk rooms. And if you don't mind uh, going back to the days of youth camp when you were in a nice (laughs) big bunk room, you know, with uh, bunk beds and, uh, you know, a a single bathroom at the back. Uh, There are a lot of those available and we've got uh, bunks available in those bunk rooms. Wherever you sleep, really, sleeping is beside the point. What happens Uh, What you're going to remember for the rest of your life is what happens when you're awake. And uh, man, what a weekend it's going to be. Jim Cress is coming with just a huge fund of of wisdom and counsel that's going to help us. Mo Leverett will be there uh, to do a concert. We've got four. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Five fantastic workshops on tap. Uh, and of course the best part is just hang time with other brothers. And we got brothers coming from all around North America. So if you haven't yet signed up for the fall retreat, uh, time is a wasting and spaces are limited. So, uh, go ahead right now and make those arrangements. Go to uh, the main page at samsonsociety.com or samsonsociety.org. Scroll down to you see that banner for the retreat, click on it and reserve your spot. And by the way, this is not a money-making thing for Samson House. 
Uh, our ambition is to be in the black. <laughs> it looks like we're probably going to make it this year because registration is strong. Uh, but the, the whole purpose of the fall retreat is uh, to strengthen the brotherhood, for us to share stories, for us to share uh, experience, strength, and hope, uh, encourage one another, equip one another. And that's what's going to happen in Eva, Tennessee, November 5, 6, and 7. Well, that brings it to the end of this episode. As always, Aaron and I really appreciate your comments and suggestions. And you can reach us at Pirate Monk Podcast at gmail.com. All right. So signing off now for Aaron and, you know, for all the brothers in the Samson Society, this is your pal, Nate Larkin, on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Mm-hmm. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. <laughs>